Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm, I'm glad you're all here. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on gallery view there. I just learned how to do that. <laughs> it's great to see everyone. Um, okay, I'm going to switch it back to, to speaker mode. Um, okay, so just, just a reminder that uh, kind of we're doing this, we're doing this every week um, uh, on, on Zoom right now. So, so anyone who wants to make sure to get the link, please um, go to Torah on iTunes dot com and subscribe or just in the chat box below just uh put your your email and and i'll make sure to to send you the the, the zoom invite uh uh every week so anyway looking forward to this week's talk uh i have uh just a a, a question that that all of you might be wondering after pesach i know that that i ask myself this question more or less every single year which is, if matzah is so great, why don't we eat matzah all year round? Or, uh, I'll phrase the question uh, the opposite way, if bread is so terrible, why do we ever eat bread? Um, we know that matzah stands for spiritual purity and, and, and simplicity um, in, the, in the best, purest sense uh, of, of, of the terms, just, just ultimate uh, spiritual refinement. Matzah is real. It's what it is. It doesn't pretend to be anything else. Um, so, so spiritually speaking, matzah is like the height of beauty. Um, bread, on the other hand, famously, bread is really puffed up. So bread stands for ego. Bread stands for all of those things that um, human beings are sort of adding to the picture. And it, it's, it, it correlates um, famously with the Yetzirah or with ego. Ego, I think, is... Um, we always have to make the distinction um, when we talk about ego and self-esteem. We need self-esteem. Self-esteem is absolutely necessary. It's the engine for getting through life. Everyone's got to value themselves as a piece of God. So, so we love self-esteem. Ego, on the other hand, let's define ego as attributing power to yourself that you simply don't have. Power that belongs to God. So, so we, we love self-esteem. But ego, not so good. And the puffed up bread, the leaven in the bread, really stands for attributing power to yourself that you simply don't have. Okay, so, so Pesach is this fantastic purification process where we're getting rid of all that, the bad stuff of ego, and we're sticking with matzah. Um, so with that in mind... Um, <laughs> Let's return to the original question. You might ask yourself, if matzah is so great, why don't we eat matzah all year round? And if bread is so terrible, why are we ever eating bread? So, so that's my question. Now, now, for many of us, we wonder after we go through this purification of um, Pesach, seven days in Israel, eight days outside of Israel, where we're not eating anything that remotely resembles bread. We wonder, like, should I keep this going? Like, maybe this is like a really good thing. Like, I feel a little bit weird eating bread or chametz, you know, after this period. Like, when is the right time to do that? Should I just try to go as long as possible? So I know that this question, like, goes through a lot of people's heads. So let me tell you what, for me, is just like a, an amazing, amazing story. 
just um, uh, about the Vilnagon, you know, one of our greatest, greatest uh, rabbis, holy men ever. And so the Vilnagon's minig, his custom was to make, um, at the end of Pesach, when you make Havdalah, he would make Havdalah on beer. Now, beer is chametz gamor. Beer is the liquid equivalent of bread, which means that the very, very first opportunity he had to eat bread, he took it and he ate bread. So again, to, to me, that's such a great story. And that's, that's so remarkable because um, it's a little bit counterintuitive. You might think that, well, shouldn't you try to delay? And here he's running to eat bread. So now let's make that, um, let's make that ID even stronger, okay? Which is that we're in this very interesting period right now where we're counting the Omer, we're counting up to the holiday of Shavuos, because everybody knows 50 days after we left Egypt, we got the Torah at Mount Sinai. Now, one of the, the, the unique aspects of Shavuos, the way it's observed, and this is in the Torah itself, is that we brought to the, to the Mishkan or to the Beis HaMikdash uh, a special korban, a special offering called Shte Halechem, which means two loaves of bread. It was the only time all year that this was part of the offerings of the holidays. Any time, the entire year, on Shavuos, we bring two loaves of bread. So again, here, again, you see this very stark contrast between Pesach, and remember, um, the Ramban and many commentators consider this one long holiday. In other words, Pesach is the beginning of the holiday, and Shavuos is the end of the holiday, and all the days in between are like Cholamoit. All right, that's, that, that, that makes a lot of sense historically, because we know, as, as we've mentioned, that at the burning bush, God said the burning bush was located at Mount Sinai, and God said at the burning bush, Take the Jews out of Egypt and bring them back here. So you see the idea of Pesach and Shavuos being one long holiday is, 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 is very organic and very much in the Torah. So with that in mind, you've got this beautiful set of bookends. On the one hand, you have Matzah on Pesach. And on the other hand, Shavuos, which is the culmination, you have two loaves of bread. So, so again, we have to ask the question, if bread is so bad... <laughs> Not only why are we ever eating it, but why are we evolving into it? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you're telling me that we, we get the Torah, and, and, and if, if anything, let's, let's reverse it, right? Wouldn't that make more sense? Let's start off with bread on Pesach, and by the time we get to the Torah at Mount Sinai, and we get spiritually evolved, we are now eating matzah. Right? Wouldn't that, when you know what each symbolizes, wouldn't that make so much more sense? And yet, that's very much not the case. Okay, so we have to go deeper and we have to unpack this. We have to figure it out. What's bread? What's matzah? And what I would like to suggest is that there is a difference between the bread that we eat before Pesach and the bread that we eat after Pesach. I'm going to say that again, because we're going to spend some time on this idea, okay? And we're going to go deeper into the creation of man and to what it really means to be a human being, okay? That's where we're going now. So we're going deeper. So again, let me, let me ask the question, what is the difference 
between bread before Pesach and bread after Pesach? That's, that's the question. And to get a deeper insight into this, I want to, um, I want to tell you uh, this, this amazing Pesach, really, and there's so much on this verse in the Torah um, that I really recommend that you look at the Rashi on it. There's tons of just foundational Rashis about just what it means to be a human being. We, we won't be able to go through all of them right now, unfortunately, but um, I just want to give you that, that, the highlight here. So I'm going to read you about the actual creation of human beings, and you're going to see here how the human being is likened unto a loaf of bread. So we, each of us, men, women, we, each one of us is like a loaf of bread. So where do you see that? And again, you can, you can look at the, the, the Rashi on this, and he's drawing from um, the, uh, uh, the Medrash. This is chapter 2, verse 7. I'm going to read it in English. And Hashem, God, formed the man of dust from the ground, and he blew into his nostrils the soul of life. And man became a living being. So th- these last three words um, are, are, are very striking. And there's, there's a really super cool hint here. Um, in Hebrew, it's ha'adam l'nefesh chaya. Um, by the way, Ankelos has a very famous uh, uh, translation of that. And, and it's uh, referred to all the time in Shirim, which is that man became a living being he says man became a talking being. In other words, what, what, what makes man unique from the other creations of the world? The fact that we can talk and reason. So, so that's what he says the verse is referring to. But I want to uh, refer your attention to something else. This phrase, ha'adam l'nefesh chaya, if you take the first three letters of that phrase and then spell it backwards, it's the letters... Ches Lamed Hey, which spells Chala, which which means that God formed um, a living being out of man. The word Chala appears in that, and 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 Rashi goes through the details of it, like the 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 mist came down and it sort of like um watered the ground, and that God, so to speak, needed not just formed man but kneaded man from the ground like dough, that, that man was created and formed like a challah. Okay, so, so this, is, this is interesting because it shows you that this idea of bread is not something that we just eat, that bread is very integral to the essence of what it means to be a human being because we were formed like bread. We're loaves of bread. Okay, now let's go deeper. Most people, um, and I've certainly mentioned this thought many times, will tell you that the word Adam, which means a human being, that's man and woman. And by the way, I I just saw this recently. I I, I thought this was kind of cool. That Adam is also is singular and plural and male and female. So when we're, and, and it refers to the, the highest level that a person can attain. There are different names in the Torah for human beings, Ish, um, Gavar, th- th- things like this. But, but, but um, Adam is the highest. Okay, so it's male and female, and it's also singular and plural. Interesting. So if you ask, 
if you asked me why Adam is called Adam, I would have told you that Adam is from the word Adama, which means ground. And since we were formed from the ground, we have the name Adam. And it makes sense. And there are a lot of drushes on this. For instance, the fact that um, we're formed from the earth uh, indicates that, that human beings have a lazy aspect to them, just like the earth just kind of lays around. Well, human beings kind of just lay around also. And that's because we're formed out of the earth. So we're kind of like naturally lazy because we're like the ground. Okay, that's, that's, that's a very real insight, and it's true. But I want to tell you something more mind-blowing, okay? Which is, which is, the rabbis also say that the word Adam comes from a different word, actually. Adam, you ready for this? Adam comes from the word dimyon. Dimyon means imagination. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, so now, now we're getting, now we're getting somewhere. Dimyon means imagination. In other words, the essence of a person is his ability to have an imagination, to fathom and to intuit. Okay, that's, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. And again, that's connected to the idea that we're loaves of bread. You see, remember, I'm always sharing this idea with you because I think it's so central to understanding the world and understanding our lives. And I'll tell you you the way I say it, which is that everyone has the same question, whether they can articulate articulate it or not, or, or, or whether they're aware of it or not, which is if, if there's a God, why is the world so messed up? Everyone has this question. If there's a God, why is the world so messed up? And the answer is, is because the world isn't finished yet. The world is in this, this state of being perfected. And that's the glory of human beings. God created us to be partners with him to finish the world. So that, 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 that's an awesome thing. Now let's relate it back to our discussion. You see that man is like a loaf of bread. Man has dimyon. Man has this amazing capacity called imagination. And God gives us this, this ability, like bread rises up, that our thoughts rise up to unravel the mysteries of the world, the mysteries of science, the mysteries of nature, the mysteries of beauty, the mysteries of the human condition. This is all the idea of, of, of the bread rising up, and that's the act of imagination. That's the act of co-creating with God and figuring out this, this remarkable universe that we're in. Okay. But there's a downside to this as well. You see, imagination... And, and by the way, I just, I just want to tell you this, because the first time I heard this, I, it just made me smile so much. I loved it so much. I don't know if you know this, but Disney, the, the Walt Disney, you know, the massive media conglomerate, Disney has a special um, branch of operations uh, inside the company. It's, it's a team of people, you ready for this, 
called the Imagineers, right? I, the first time I heard that phrase, the Imagineers, I, I love that so much. And that's sort of like this elite group of engineers who are um, tasked with coming up with like new rides and experiences at the, at the theme parks. So it's, it's, a, it's a combination, Imagineer of engineer and someone who has a, a great imagination. So really, all human beings, all of us are Imagineers, right? We're, we're trying to figure it out and, and, and all the rest. Okay, good. But let's talk about the downside right now. There's also, there's also the other side. And, and, and here it is. There is a very fine line between imagining, imagination, and delusion. Let me say that again. There's a very fine line between imagination and delusion. Okay. You see, and it's one of the, the themes that I, I love to go back to all the time because I, I think it's so compelling, which is how much of a structured universe we actually inhabited. We inhabit. And without going through all the details, we can spend a lot of time on this, but let me just give you a quick overview. From the billions and hundreds of billions of, of stars and galaxies um, in the sky, um, which are so precise and adhere to a very, very exact um, gravitational uh, orbit, right? Like with all the millions and tens of millions of black holes, how is there any order in the heavens? Right? And yet there is. It's, a, it's amazing. And then you go down and you see how precise air is. Like we have just enough oxygen that we can breathe. If we had any less, the entire world would suffocate. If we had any more, if you lit a match, the whole world would catch on fire. It's incredibly precise. The DNA inside of a person, we have X, exact amounts of X and Y chromosomes. So you say, well, what, have a few more X chromosomes. You'd, you'd have nine eyes. Do you understand? So, it, again, incredibly exact. And then you go down to the subatomic level. Just how precise it is on the subatomic level. So, when you realize that from, from the galaxies above, to the air, to the way we're composed, to the subatomic level, that everything is exceedingly, exceedingly, exceedingly exact, you realize that there is an objective reality to the universe that we live in. That's on a physical level. And the God who put and keeps the, all that going, all the time, constantly, also has a desire for human beings. And that's the Torah, right? As, as, I, as I love to mention, um, Rabbi Matas Yahu Solomon, and he needs a refuah, Rev uh, Matas Yahu Chaim, then Etta should uh, have a full recovery of Rufur Shlema. He said that he and his wife bought a blender and it came with a 32-page set of instructions. And he said, a blender comes with a 32-page set of instructions. Do you think the world doesn't come with a book of instructions? So again, we see that the world itself is exceedingly precise. There is an objective reality. And yet, Human beings have a tremendous imagination. Remember the word Adam, which means human, 
also comes from the word dimyon, which means imagination. But our imagination, with our free choice, can yield a reality that we create, which is false. And that's what I mean between the fine line between imagination and delusion. Or if you want to put it another way, between emis, between truth, and sheker, between falsehood. And as everybody knows, if you perceive a particular reality, that is the world that you're living in. Like, God is good, but if you decide that God is bad, and that God only wants to zap you, that is the world that you will inhabit, and it will be very real to you. So again, that type of world building also comes from our imagination, but that's the dark side of our imagination. That's, that's, that's delusion, what we'll call delusion, as opposed to the pure aspect of it, which we'll call imagination. So let's return to our original question. If matzah is so great, and matzah really is so great, um, let me give you a beautiful teaching about matzah, which you may not have heard. This is from the Ishbitzer Rebbe, an awesome, awesome teaching, okay? So as, as many commentators have pointed out, the word matzah and the word mitzvah are exactly the same letters, except the word mitzvah has the letter vav. Okay, so matzah and mitzvah, same word, except the word mitzvah has the letter vav. Okay, so what does the Ishbitzer do with that? So he says that that vav is from the yudke vavke, right? So that's, that's awesome already. And that on Pesach, what happened on Pesach? On Pesach, Hashem bound, leapt over the houses. He jumped over the houses. So what does is, what is the letter Vav stand for on a deeper level? The letter Vav stands for free choice. Okay? So what, that's a human being's free choice. So now let's get back to this idea of what's the difference between matzah and mitzvah. So, so Hashem, with the word mitzvah, he jumped over the letter vav and he gave us matzah, meaning he jumped over this idea that we have free choice, meaning that matzah is this super powerful spiritual medicine that allows us to leap over our free choice and only serve God and not to be distracted by anything that isn't true. That matzah contains all the mitzvahs without the possibility of us making mistakes with our free choice, by making the mistake of going from imagination to delusion. In other words, matzah is that, that counteractive, that beautiful, holy thing that keeps us on the straight path, keeps us completely connected with God without allowing us to use our imagination in the wrong way. It keeps us in truth. So again, just like on Pesach, God jumped over the houses, 
God with the word mitzvah jumped over the letter vav, which is our free choice, and created matzah, which is this beautiful, spiritual, powerful medicine, which allows us to keep the Torah without making any mistakes. And the Ari goes as far as saying that if you really keep Pesach, if you really don't eat any chametz, that's leavened bread, that's, that's bread, right? If you really stay away completely from chametz, then it will be a blessing for you not to make any sins, any averas, for the entire year. So you see how the, how the, um, how the Ishpitzer is drawing on this, he's explaining, really, what, what the Ari is saying in an amazing, amazing way. Okay. So again, I bring you that teaching about matzah to show you how great matzah is. And now, what I would like to suggest is, again, we have our question. If matzah is so great, and we just learned again about how great matzah is, if matzah is so great, why don't we eat it all year long? And if bread is so terrible, why do we eat it at all? Right? And why is it that the Vilna Gon took his first opportunity that he had to eat, to eat um, bread? Remember, he would make um, Havdalah on beer, right? So the first beer is like liquid bread. His first opportunity to eat chametz after Pesach, he went for it and he did it. Okay, so we're saying, or I would like to suggest that there's a difference between the bread that we eat before Pesach and the bread that we eat after Pesach. The bread that we eat before Pesach is puffed up and it's filled with ego. It's filled with the idea that I'm attributing power to myself that really belongs to God, right? And then comes this amazing, amazing yontif, this amazing chag, called Pesach, Passover, where we get cleaned out in the deepest, most beautiful way with this matzah. The matzah purifies our thinking. The matzah allows us to attach ourselves to God in the purest way. And now we start the climb to receiving the Torah and eating bread again, where we're going to bring bread as the one time a year special offering of receiving the Torah. All right, now we got to go deeper. We're going to go deeper, even deeper now. You ready? So believe it or not, there are a lot of different fruits that the Gomorrah says was the, was the tree of life. I'm sorry, the, uh, the Eitzadas, the tree of knowledge. So one example is figs. Another example is the Esrug. Another example is grapes. Right? There's a lot of a lot of different ideas. What was the actual fruit of the tree of knowledge, the Eitzadas? So now, believe it or not, one of the fruits that the Gomorrah mentions is that it was wheat. Okay? Now, the nature of the world changed. It, it used to be that, that wheat grew up from the ground like trees. Okay? And, and so that's, that's the kind of the visual of it, anyway, if you're wondering, how's that the tree from a tree? But they were like trees, these stalks of wheat. And the idea is that when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai, we got purified from what we call, Kabbalistically speaking, the snake poison. 
all the impurities in our thinking got purified by receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. And the Gomorrah says that when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai, we were like Adam and Chava before they ate from the tree of knowledge or before they ate from the wheat, if you will. And so since on Shavuos every year, we're celebrating the idea that we got purified from the fruit of the tree of knowledge, we bring two loaves of bread. In other words, if we say that we ate to bread and that was, the, that was from the tree of knowledge, right? And Shavuos, which is the rectification of the eating of bread, now we're, eating, now we're bringing bread in a holy way. We're fixing, we're fixing the original mistake of Adam and Chava. So what I would like to suggest is the following. God wants us to use our imagination. God gave us, God made us Adam, which is from Dimyon, which means imagination, because he wants us to explore all the depths of the universe, to use our imagination in the fullest, most beautiful way, but to use it in a way that's consistent with truth. You know, I heard a definition of genius many years ago, which I really love. Um, That genius is this amazing ability to see what's actually there. That when Einstein was able to show the, the curvature of the universe, he didn't make that up. He didn't superimpose his thought on the world. He saw what was actually there. That's genius. The ability to see what's actually there. And that's holy imagination. That's the perfected human being. When we use our imagination to actually see the beauty of the world that God created. And that reaches its zenith, its peak, on Shavuos, when we receive the Torah. Remember, one of the aspects of the Torah, and this is reflected in the very first letter of the Torah, the Bays of Breshis, is that there's a written Torah, that's the Torah Shebek Sav, right? That's like the Ten Commandments. But there's also the oral law, the Torah Shabal Peh. In other words, when God envisioned the Torah, God didn't just envision the five books of Moses, right? God envisioned it flowing through us and our holy imagination, our dimyon, our ability to see actually what's there, filling in and fleshing out the fullness and the beauty of the Torah, which is the DNA of all of creation. Now, I had a thought that I want to share with you, and let's, let's go deeper still, okay? Because I want to make all of this practical. I want to make all of this practical to give us tools to, to stay on the right path, right? Because now we've just left Pesach, we've just, you know, our prescription on matzah has just run out, right? We, you get seven or eight tablets, right? And, and that's it. The jar is empty right now. And it's sort of like, oh, I got to make it last. 
I got to keep my dimyun. I got to keep my adam. I'm a loaf of bread. I have to keep my imagination pure and holy. I have to live in the realm of truth. How do I keep it not from straying into the realm of delusion and negative imagination? So I thought to myself, well, what are the actual effects of chametz, of leaven, of bread, right? We call it chametz. And I thought to myself, what if you took the gematria of chametz, right, meaning bread, and you subtracted matzah, the gematria, the numerical equivalent of matzah? Maybe that number might give us a hint as to what it is that we should avoid. In other words, we know matzah is holy, chametz it's, it's kind of up to us. We have free choice whether we use our imagination the right way or the wrong way, right? To be an imagineer or a deluded human being, right? So, so I thought, let's, let's subtract the two. So famously, 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 the, 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 the letters, and this is just so perfect because as I say, it's a very, very fine line. Believe it or not, the letters for chametz and matzah are the same. Okay, there's a little PS to that. I'll explain it. But you wouldn't think that two words which are such spiritual opposites would be virtually identical. So let me explain why they're just a little bit different, okay? The only difference is there's a mem in both. There's a tzadi in both. But one matzah has the letter hey. And the letter and the word chametz has the letter ches, so I'll just uh, maybe I'll make a little picture for you, in case uh, in case you can't picture the difference between the two. Okay, so here's the letter ches, and here's the letter hey, and there's just a tiny little difference. There's a little opening over here at the top of the hey. Whereas with the Chesa connects. And so the Vilna Gon points out that that little opening there is, stands for time. If you delay, if you keep the matzah in the oven too long, it turns into chametz. That's on a very here and now practical level. On a, on a deeper spiritual level, if you have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, you have to do it quickly. You have to do it quickly. Okay? If you delay, you can even, you can even turn a mitzvah opportunity into chametz. Okay, a mitzvah will always be holy whenever you do it, and it's never, ever, ever too late to do the right thing. It's never, ever, ever too late to do the right thing. However, you should also know that there are levels of mitzvahs. There are bigger mitzvahs and there are smaller mitzvahs. And a, mitzvah's, a mitzvah that's done with what we call zrizis, which means a person who runs to do the mitzvah, the spiritual magnitude that that mitzvah has in the world is much greater than one where a person delays and does it at his own time. You know, imagine you ask someone to do a favor and they'll say, I'll do it, but I'll do it when I'll do it. I'll do it when I'll do it. You already feel it. You already feel it's not the same thing. And 
I'll give you another example. Maybe this is a potent example, given the time that we're in right now, where there are people who have a lot of need right now. A lot of people are shut out of their jobs and rent is hanging over them and things like that. They're going to be, God should help us, but a lot of people probably who have immediate needs over the next several weeks or perhaps even months. So perhaps someone asks you for a donation and you go, okay, I'll donate, I'll donate. And, 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 and it takes you a long time to do it. So imagine the difference to the person who needs the money, who gets it immediately, or who gets it in three months. You say, hey, it's the same check. It's the same number. Should be the same mitzvah, right? But when you see it in those terms, you realize the difference between the hey and the ches, right? The hey... And the ches, the ches, the person waited and delayed and time filled in that gap, right? Whereas with the hay, it's like matzah, it's fast, it was done right away. I want to tell you an idea that I had about the difference between chametz and matzah, and we'll get back to the gematria soon, the difference between the two. Um... It says in Gomorrah Menachos that Hashem created this world, the world that Olam Asiya, the, the, the world, that this dimension that we inhabit with the letter He. And that, and that basically that there's a, a, an area on the bottom of the He where the, right, where the wicked fall out of, right? That this world is like a big pavilion and you can fall out of the bottom. But God leaves that little space between the top of the hay and, the, and that little longer line there where you can get back in. You see, does everyone see that? That's, that's what the Gomorrah says. You can drop out of the bottom, but then you can sneak back in on the top. Okay. So what I would like to suggest is that someone who's like chametz, what did, what did we say? Look at the difference between the hay and the ches. Do you see there's not, it doesn't have that opening to get back in that the Gomorrah talks about. You see, it's closed off. And what did we say? Chametz, right? With the ches, with the closed off door there. What does chametz represent? Ega. You see, in order to return, a person has to be humble. In order to return, a person has to say, I made a mistake. But someone who's all puffed up and full of their own ego, they can't admit that they ever made a mistake. So they've closed off that door to return. Do you see at the top? The door to return isn't there because of their own egos. Do you understand? They puffed up their egos. They closed the door to their own return because they haven't been able to admit, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I made a mistake. Okay. So now let's get to the gematria. This I thought was an exciting idea. This kind of came to me on my pillow last night as I was going to sleep and trying to think, what am I going to tell these people tomorrow? So um, so I thought, what if you take the gematria of chametz and you subtract and you subtract matzah, right? 
You take bread and you subtract matzah. What's the number? Maybe that'll give us a practical tool of the things to avoid so that we can stay on the right track, right? Now that our matzah prescription has run out, right? So you know what the difference between the two words is? Three, the number three. And I thought, wow, okay, that's interesting. So chametz is three more than matzah. Remember, matzah represents ultimate spiritual refinement, okay? Matzah is ultimate spiritual refinement. So, so chametz, bread, is three more than matzah. So that means that's a negative, right? That, that's like three bad things. What, what does that three stand for that's negative? And I remembered in Pirkei Avos, by the way, let me give a little advertisement after Pesach each year. We learn Pirkei Avos every Shabbos between uh, now and, and Rosh Hashanah. So, so, and, and especially also between now and, and, uh, and Shavuos. So try to do your chapter of Pirkei Avos every week. I'm reading you from now chapter 4, verse 28. Now remember, chametz is three more than matzah. So what does that three stand for? So I would like to suggest the following. Rabbi Elazar HaKapar says, Jealousy, overwhelming desires, and searching for honor, running after honor, remove a person from the world. Okay, in Hebrew, we say, Hakina, Vahataiva, Vahakavid. Kina, Taiva, and Kavid remove a person from the world. All right, so let's let's go into this. And you should know, Reb Tzadik HaKon in Tekanus HaShavin says that matzah is, is, is a special, special cure for taiva. Okay, so taiva I'm translating as overwhelming desires. Covid is honor. That means, look at me. I'm so great, right? I'm a big shot, right? Look at me. Pay attention to me. It was my idea. And then also kina, which is jealousy. All these three things remove a person from the world. Or I would like to suggest, in the, in the context of the discussion that we've been having, that they remove a person from being an imagineer, right? From Tor Shabal Peh, from using this aspect of, of your humanity, the, the dimyun of your Adam, right? The word for human being has the word imagination in it. For using your imagination to, to explore the objective reality of this world, the, the, the truth of this world, right? These three things, taiva, kina, and kavid, running after honor, overwhelming desires and jealousy take you from that place to living in a world of self-manufactured delusion. Okay. So, I'd like to say that um, that jealousy pits you against another person, and that's sinas chinam. That's hating people for no reason. As Reb Shlomo so, said so brilliantly, 
Jealousy means thinking that someone else took your portion. That's the definition of jealousy. You look at someone else's house or car or wife or husband or children, and you think deep in your heart, even if it's irrational, you believe deep in your heart, that's mine. That person took what's mine. But you know what? If it was yours, you would have it. God gave it to them, so they have it. So, so jealousy, kina, pits you against another person, and that's sinas chinam. That's person against person. Covid, honor, that pits you against God. You see, because, you know, for those of us who daven nusach sfard, there's a, a line in the in the Shabbos davening. Ha keser veha kavid lechayolamin. The crown and the glory belong to the one who lives forever. Glory and honor, they belong to God. Sometimes in special moments he, he puts a, a little of it on us and allows us to kind of shine with it a little bit, but it's God's. And if you ever feel slighted, and I've tried this in my life and I recommend it, you feel like, oh, you know what? Someone should have paid more attention to me or I just did something great and no one's jumping up and down or throwing me a party or whatever. Just say these words to yourself. Ha keser vehakavid lechayolamim. The crown and the glory, the covet, the honor, they belong to God. It's God's, it's not mine. It's a very redemptive, very healing thing to say. And it keeps a person humble. And it keeps a person living in truth. So we said, jealousy pits you against other people. Unnecessarily. uh, Unjustly. Honor, the search for honor, pits you against God. Again. Unnecessarily. Unjustly. And what about Overwhelming desires? What about taiva? That pits you against yourself. I need this! I can't live without this! It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. And we fall. We make mistakes. This is maybe the hardest of all three categories. Really, really, really hard. But you just keep on getting back up and you keep on knocking on God's door and you say, God, I'm not going to be turned away and I'm not going to give up on myself and I'm not going to give up on you and I'm not going to give up on the door. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep on trying. So if we can if we can hold the line, remember. Why are we discussing this right now? And then I'm going to talk about something even more practical, okay? We've got the bread that we eat before Pesach. That's all puffed up. It's all filled up with with delusion. Then we purify ourselves with matzah. Matzah is like mitzvah, but without, without even the love of free choice. We've purified ourselves and transcended even our own free choice just to stay on the holy right path, right? That's matzah. 
Now we're building toward fixing up the eating of the wheat from the tree of knowledge on Shavuos, and we want that bread to be holy bread. We want to have it filled in, but not filled in with delusion, filled in with our holy imagination, with Torsha Shabalpeh, with, with what we can add. So how do we do that? How do we keep our thoughts on the right way? So I'm suggesting if a person can fight against the difference between matzah and chametz, those three, that number three, taiva, overwhelming desires, the war against yourself, jealousy, the war against others, and honor, the war against God. If we can, if we can stay on the right path, on the right side of those three things, then we can keep our brains in a holy, pure space, and our desire and our humanity in a high, high, refined place. But we have to get practical now, okay? Because I think this is the secret ingredient, if I can say such a thing. And it was in this last week's Torah portion in Parsha Shmini. Um, so all of these... Uh, what I'm going to tell you right now is all kind of buried in the, in the Rashi's and the Medrash. It's, it's hard to see this just from the, the text of the Parsha itself. But if you look in the Rashi's, Rashi spells the whole thing out. There was a whole drama. And I'm not even talking, this is, believe it or not, before not of an Avihu die. Okay? So that in itself, like you can spend forever just discussing that part. I'm talking about the drama that takes place before Nadav and Avihu even enter the scene of the Parsha. This whole thing that I'm about to tell you takes place between Moshe and the Jewish people and Moshe and Aaron and the dedication of the Mishkan. Remember, that was the holy tabernacle in the desert. That's the prototype of the, of the holy temple in Jerusalem, the Beis Amigdash. It was a portal between heaven and earth. And it was that thing that was going to help us keep the Shekhinah dwelling among the Jewish people in a revealed way like it did when we got the Torah at Mount Sinai. Okay, it was that traveling Mount Sinai experience, revelation of Mount Sinai experience, right? As the Ramban explains it, which again, which was the, the peak of humanity up, in, up until Mashiach coming, that was the peak of humanity. And, and God gave us a way to maintain that, that status quo with the Mishkan, okay? So, so the Shekhinah, God's revealed presence, left the Jewish people after the sin of the golden calf. And Moshe tells the Jewish people, we're going to get it back. We're getting the Shekhinah back. Don't worry. And, and, and God has given us a way to do it. We're going to build this Mishkan. And when we build the Mishkan, God's presence is going to be back with us, just like it was before the golden calf. Now, you know, the Jewish people, it, it was really like a miracle. The Jewish people who were like, excuse me, not, um, not jewelers, not goldsmiths. Um, they didn't really have the technical skills that they needed in order to create all the very super fine work to build the Mishkan. But God blessed all of the people who, who wanted to give he put the wisdom in their heart and under the supervision of Betzalel, they were able to do things that were wondrous, that were wondrous, that they didn't even know that they could do. And after all that hard work and after all those donations, more donations than were even needed, right? 
the Mishkan gets completed. And Moshe puts it up and he takes it down and he puts it up in the seven days leading up to the eighth day when it was um, officially inaugurated. But Aaron wasn't working yet. So, so what's sort of like a little footnote here is you see that this was the one time that Moshe actually acted as the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, which is interesting that he did play that role, but not just kind of like in the lead up to the Mishkan. Anyway, here's the point. The point is that each time Moshe put up the finished Mishkan, the Shekhinah, God's revealed presence, did not descend. And after the seven days, the Jewish people were like, God's really mad at us. We thought that we were going to do this and we were going to fix the sin of the golden calf and we were going to see, like we were going to feel like it was, you know, before we did that. And it's not happening. And there was a missing ingredient. On the eighth day, you know what the missing ingredient was? Aaron. Aaron was the missing ingredient. So Aaron, the coin gadol, does his thing. And after Aaron does his thing, the Shekhinah still doesn't descend. Okay? So this is getting heavy now, right? And Aaron has a whole conversation that's recorded that he had with Moshe. And you, you, if you look in the Rashi, you'll see it. If you look in the Medrash, you'll see it. Aaron says, I told you. I told you that I wasn't the one to do this. After my experience with the golden calf, I'm not the one, Moshe. You made me do this, and I did it because you told me to do it, but I'm not the one. You see that the Shekhinah hasn't descended, and it's because of me. It's my fault. It's a very emotional, it's a very emotional thing. And then it says, and this is a Pasuk in the Torah, but I'm filling in all the backstory that's going on so that you understand this Pasuk. It says, Moshe and Aaron entered into the Mishkan and they prayed for mercy. And then you know what happened? The Shekhinah returned. I think that there's a giant, 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 giant life lesson in this. Our relationship with God, even with all the 613 mitzvahs, and believe me, with all the dirabanans and all the aspects of the 613, there are thousands of mitzvahs. Even with all of that, our relationship with God is not mechanistic. It's not a machine. It's not a science. God is not an ATM. He's not an automated teller where you punch in your code and you get your cash. There are certain strains in Judaism which say, say these divine names and you know, the cash register opens. I'm so not into it. I'm so not into it. I can't even tell you. 
because it's not a mechanistic relationship. You see that we went through all of the details of building the Mishkan, which were massive, massive amounts of details. We went through all of the details of building the Mishkan, and the Shekhinah still didn't come down until Moshe and Aaron prayed for mercy. And this is the thought that I want to leave you with and that I want to end with that's basically summarizing everything that I've told you up until now. Adam, a human being, comes from the word dimyon, right? Imagination. If we want to live in the real world, if we want to use our holy imagination in order to plummet the depths of truth and beauty and the real world, and not to fall prey to delusion. We need to pray for mercy. It's not enough just to avoid kina, jealousy, covet, honor, taiva, overwhelming desires. We have to do that. But if you want to be successful in that way, We have to pray for mercy from God. So, thank you all for joining in and being a part of this. Um, it means a, a lot to me that, that we can all be uh, connected in this way. Um, I'm kind of hitting the, uh, the gallery view there for a moment. If anyone uh, wants to look, but, um, so, yeah, stay safe, and, uh, and good things. I'm, I'm gonna... Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us, and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.